0: So yes, last week Dave did give a brilliant talk, didn't he, on how the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. And today I'm looking at a fantastic letter, Paul's letter to Ephesians chapter 6, and looking at how um, the Holy Spirit can empower us as a church body. So let's get right on in and read the passage. So it is Paul's letter to Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Amen. Isn't that a great passage? So, has anyone here been to Ephesus? Well, you sound surprised, but well done. <laughs> I'm only asking because I've been. Um, (laughs) James and I went a few years ago. It is in Turkey. And um, if you haven't been to Ephesus, you can get a very similar experience by going down to Westbury Meze, you know, the kind of falafel shop in Westbury, because they've got a massive photo of um, Ephesus on the wall. It is almost an identical experience for a lot less cost. But... um, Ephesus actually is now landlocked, but previously was at the sea, Um, and it was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greeks and the Roman gods, and you're probably aware that Paul had been there for two years, read about it in Acts, and he'd had a really effective missionary presence there. Lots of people from all those different cultures and, and religious beliefs became believers, So some years later, Paul is in prison, um, being put in prison by the Romans, and he's writing to this group. And it's an amazing letter. Do read it if you've got the time. And it starts exploring the whole um, story of the gospel. And then it moves into how this creation of amazing believers in Ephesus can remain strong and stand firm. So... He's writing about them to change their thinking, because they were from a very different culture. There was a lot of paganism, and he was saying to them, put off your old self and put on your new self. And I think this is very timely, isn't it? For for me, anyway, it's a right old good reminder. Um, It's talking about how can they live well in community, even though they're from different backgrounds, and everyone is included in this. And that's what's so encouraging about this letter. And you might know from um, Ephesians that there's much in there about living in community, about being accepted for who you are, the body of Christ with your different gifts, that we've all got different talents, um, about the five-fold ministry of the preachers, apostles, don't know them all five, but I think somebody here will, all the different gifts we've got. Um, and about how we should submit to one another in humility through the Spirit. So it's a lovely book, and I'm reading the massive pep talk at the end. And I love a pep talk. I had to give myself a pep talk about this pep talk, because... (laughs) I'm thinking other people could give this talk a lot better than me, and that may indeed be true. I'm sure it is true, but I'm giving the talk. So I had to give myself a right pep talk about that. I was thinking I've got nothing to add, yada, yadda yadda. Anyway, I love a pep talk. I need to give myself a pep talk, as discussed. um, Those of you who've got children probably have to give pep talks. Particularly during exams, I felt I had two standard pep talks that I nearly recorded. And Jess said, right, you need pep talk A, which is don't work too hard, don't get overstressed. And then pep talk B, do work too hard, do get stressed. So, you know, we all love a pep talk. And this is the best pep talk you can imagine. And Paul is giving it to us. Because what he's doing is he's urging his new communities that they are accepted and valued, and he wants them to be unified. They're from different backgrounds. He wants them to stay strong. And it's very interesting that Paul mentions early in the passage that the battle is not against flesh and blood. And Paul doesn't really say much about this generally in his letters, but it's against rulers and against authorities and against the presence of the dark world. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. But, you know, it is saying that it isn't against the individual sometimes that we're struggling, but it is against um, sometimes invisible and visible opposition. But while saying that, we must remember the resources that we have been given. And we have got the resource of the um, armor of God. We have been given divine protection and equipment. Oh, and I needed reminding of that. Because it is a bit of a struggle at the moment, isn't it? Um, We've had a long struggle, and now we've got another struggle. Um, And I think sometimes we can forget what resources we have. And I myself was so encouraged reading this, but also being reminded it's just not resources for me, but it's resources for our whole church community. So, right, my next question is, has anyone seen a Roman soldier recently? <laughs> oh, um, a disappointing answer. Um, <laughs> because, of course, the people reading this letter would be very familiar with the Roman soldiers. We've got a little family joke, obviously at James's expense. Um, because we were in Rome once. At, oh, what's that big thing in the middle? The Colosseum, thank you. we were at the Colosseum and there's lots of people dressed waiting for a photo opportunity in the full Roman garb we went out and we saw a Roman soldier on a mobile phone (laughs) James uttered the immortal words there is nothing worse than seeing a Roman centurion on a mobile phone (laughs) we thought about this we thought it is bad it is bad But perhaps there are things worse. But (laughs) ever since then, if we see somebody inappropriate on a mobile phone, we all look at each other and go, there is nothing worse than a Roman centurion on a mobile phone. So if you remember that from my talk, hopefully that will equip you this week. Um, So, of course... For um, the people of that time, this would have been such a familiar image to them. And it's really helpful for us, isn't it? So, look, I've got a slide. Excuse this slide, any historians among you? Look, these are the different parts. And, of course, this is an analogy. Um, And if you take this as part of the book, this is not armor for the individual, but it is armor for us as a community, Because what we can't see in this is that the English translation, we haven't got a plural you, have Have we? And maybe if we were American, we'd say, ye are. Because (laughs) Paul is saying, ye are put on the armor of God. It's in plural, not in singular. And while it's helpful to us as individuals, he is talking about us as a body. Um, And, of course, the readers of that time would have been very familiar with this phrase. They would have known from the Old Testament that God is described as wearing the armor, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. And also in Isaiah, he prophesied that the Messiah would have all of these qualities. So I'm thinking they're good enough for God. They're good enough for Jesus. They might be good enough for us, mightn't they? So let's have a look at this, because the main point is here, is no part of the body is left unprotected. So we must be ready and equipped. And I guess we can fall into two traps here. One, we can think, oh, we've just forgotten about all that. We're not protected. We can just forget about it. And the other one is to think that it is just for us, and we're on our our own. And Paul is so adamant that we have got divine resources here. So we'll just go through the um, armor quickly. I mean, my favourite's the belt of truth, (laughs) mainly because it slightly makes me laugh, because um, a belt, it says in the context, is a sign of readiness. I don't know if you feel that. But in the olden days, when we wore cloaks, you remember those times, um, they would get in the way of action. So you could either tuck them up like a -a make-a-belt, Or you could tuck them into your belt, and then you were ready. And that's where the phrase, girding your loins, which is a very special phrase for Helen. You have to gird your loins, don't you, Helen? (laughs) It was where that phrase comes from. It's saying, you know, okay, let's get ready for action. But the belt is one of truth, and it is the truth. We know Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. But we also know the truth of God, don't we? So that's what the belt of truth is about. It is a sign of readiness, but being confident that we have the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. I mean, this reflects the righteous character of God. And it's also saying our heart and our souls are protected. Feet fitted with the readiness of gospel. We need good shoes, don't we? We need good shoes. We need to protect our feet. Um, We need our feet to be comfortable if we're going into a struggle. Um, And also, if we understand the gospel, we're ready, aren't we, to share that with those around us. So really, if we've got the knowledge of it, we should be ready and alert. And the next bit is take up your shield of faith. So this, you haven't put this on, you're being given it, you're taking it up. And we will be given faith as we continually walk with God. Our faith will grow, and that is something that is a gift. Now, my shield is a little bit pathetic in that picture because the shields were massive, weren't they, like the size of a big curvy door, and they were made of wood and leather and metal, and in the leather they had either soaked it with water or oil, so you're spearing, fire things come in, and then they just drop off. But what is really um, interesting about this is the way we could use our shields is that we could all overlap them, and then we would be impenetrable. And I think that's such a great analogy. Did you learn about at school? i didn't appear to do history at school, but allegedly other people have. Um, you know that tortoise formation. Do you know that where all the su- I mean that is a terrible example of it. I'm sorry, but that's all you can get on the internet. Um, But that shows you the coverage that can be got from this shield. And actually, um, that would allow the army to stand firm, but also to push forward against the defence. So it's an amazing analogy that we have as a congregation, all our shields, and if we work together as a community, there's nothing we can't do. So... um, Then we've got the helmet of salvation. We know that we are children of God, don't we? We can be assured of that. But we need to protect our heads. and I I need to protect my mind. I know I do. I don't watch anything remotely scary, but that's just me. We need to protect our minds so that we can be confident in our salvation. We are fully accepted as a child of God. Whatever we have done and whoever we are, we can put on the helmet of salvation. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Now, next, we've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I mean, we love the Word of God. What a gift it is to us. And it is the Spirit that helps us use the sword. And we can think of many cases in the Bible, can't we, where God's Word is actually um, power even just thinking of Jesus being tempted by the devil, how he um, had the Holy Spirit upon him and was able to use God's word in his defense. So to sum that up, we are fully protected from our heads to our toes. We can stand firm. And the translation of standing firm there isn't like a massive wave comes on you and you're wobbling, but you still stand up. It is I am firm, and I am alert, and I am ready for action. It is great. So we can stand firm. We are not operating as an individual. We are a community of believers, and we have God's divine provision. But I don't want to end there, because really you could say, and I would say this, in fact, I am saying it, that the seventh item of God's provision is the most important and is part of that. And that is Paul's exhortation to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And actually, this is the final bit of our armor. Because it says, and pray. It doesn't stop. It gives you all these um, parts of the armor and then says, and pray in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is a key ingredient to standing firm and being ready. The well-armed soldier is continually praying. It keeps us alert and aligned with God's purposes. So I got a bit stuck about what does it mean to pray in the spirit, I was overthinking it. I was hoping to come up with something really fantastically clever and then I realized, actually it's quite obvious. But I, well, how do you say it? I suppose for me it's easier to say what it does not mean. I suppose it doesn't mean when you pray just go for a great big list of can you this? I'd like to do that. It's not that. You know, I think we can fall into that. Um, and I also think it's not necessarily meaning we're all praying in tongues. That's, that's a different um, discussion that Paul's having. It's really actually in conversation with God. Um, Dave said that the Holy Spirit, Dave said that the Holy Spirit <laughs> um, is a someone, not a something. It is a person. And this is about relationship. Paul is talking about having an active engagement with God. You know, be ready for the Spirit to guide us and reveal things to us. Um It's waiting on God, it's asking for guidance, and it's sensing what the Spirit is leading you to do. And so I do want to focus on community prayer life, because it's what Paul is talking about here. The whole focus of this letter is about how the Holy Spirit is given to us to empower the community of believers. So it makes sense then that this call for prayer in the spirit is for us all to pray together about the issues which may separate us as a church or which may um, involve all of us. I mentioned earlier that Paul said that um, it's not just about um, human blood and flesh that we are fighting. There are invisible and invisible forces that govern our world I mean, it does really feel like that, doesn't it, at the moment? It really feels like we are struggling, and sometimes we know what we're struggling against, and sometimes we don't. So we should really pray for these powers or forces at work. Um, We should pray for the war in Ukraine and other countries, because we have the resource. We should continue to pray for our world and for injustice and the vulnerable. We should pray against the systems of racism, We should pray against poverty, for restoration of the environment. I mean, we particularly should pray against food poverty and pray about the cost of living crisis. Um, I just was thinking, then the 24 7 prayer movement came to my mind as part of this. And I don't know if you've looked at the stats, but that is an amazing encouragement when you think, wow, that's such a lot of struggles, that's such a lot to pray for. But we are joining the world in this. Um, So 24-7 started in 1999, and there are 78 nations praying 24 hours a day. 78 nations. There are over 22,000 permanent full-time prayer rooms. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it, to think of all that prayer. So look at their website to find out more. And I've got to mention it, the song, We Want to See Jesus Lifted High. Why don't we sing that anymore? Do you know the song I'm mean? <laughs> I used to love that song. We Want to See Jesus lift, Lifted High. And then every prayer, a powerful weapon, strongholds come, tumbling down. And I think sometimes, because we don't see immediate answers to prayer, do we? Sometimes we do, but a lot of times we don't. But what we don't realize is that our prayers seeing and strongholds tumbling down. So I really, this has really encouraged me to, yes, stand firm against these powers that are opposing God's kingdom and and pray into them because we will never know until we die. And then, you know, we will never know the impact of that. And then more locally as a church community to pray for each other. Um, And I was quite challenged by this as well because of course. We need to know each other first, don't we? We can't just pray for people if we don't know what they're up to, what their needs are. Um, So we need to be in relationship with each other, and we need to invest in one another. For the Roman soldiers, they didn't just do it, oh, look, it's a battle, we better get our um, shields ready. They'd practiced that, they knew each other, they knew who was going to do what. They were in relationship. They'd invested in the work beforehand so that when they came under attack, they were ready. And I think we need to be a little bit like that, don't we? Um, I think we you know, we need to try and connect with other people in church through whatever way, through just getting to know somebody you don't know, through joining a home group, um, through helping on a team, coming along at prayer week. I think we need to invest in our relationships to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us. And um, Esther, you did an amazing series about us all being part of God's family. And I think we need to accept and embrace it. We're, we're messy, aren't we? We're not all perfect, but we are a family. So please don't think, oh, well, that, you mean everybody else but me. I'm not interested in, you know, we might not be interested in you. We might have got it wrong in the past. We might have forgotten you. Or, but as a church, we are a messy family, but we are a family. And more recently, we've been offering a chance to pray together in services. So let's get involved with that. Let's be alert and ready. Let's be prepared to share, because God's empowering spirit is waiting to tend on you. I mean, prayer is such an amazing gift, and we should not carry our struggles and burdens alone. I was so encouraged. The first week of January, um, I helped organize a training week for a theological college, a charismatic theological college, college, WTC. And we went to Nottingham for four days of training. And we have a chaplain as part of that. And I was helping sort out the chaplain's spots, I don't know, <laughs> getting, uh, getting her slots. And it was so wonderful to see how the Holy Spirit was just waiting and ready and when the students went in to see the chaplain, they came out different people. And I know one guy, I almost bullied him to go to see the chaplain, I'm not going to lie. Because he was sort of, oh, I would like to go see the chaplain, but I'm not sure. And she's a bit busy. And, da, da, da. and I said, just go. It's really good. And he came out. And I think the Holy Spirit had just got right in there and tended to an issue that he was really struggling with. And even the chaplain came out and said, wow, that was amazing to see the Holy Spirit at work. So that has really encouraged me about how ready the Holy Spirit is to be part of our struggles, to you know, lend their empowering presence to us. And what it just confirmed to me is the fact that God does see us as an individual and cares so deeply for each of us. So, please do use this prayer week to offer yourself in prayer, but also to ask for prayer. I just genuinely think you can't lose. So, here endeth the pep talk. Thank you, Paul. Um, Please go away remembering we have God's full and divine provision, and we have the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. So, let's be strong and stand the uh-huh.